With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dugout Download, an Astros podcast brought to you by the Houston Chronicle. I'm Steve Schaefer of the Chronicle, along with Astros beat writer Matt Kawahara, who is in Scottsdale as we speak. The GM meetings have wrapped up, and I guess... Matt, uh, Dana Brown had an availability on Tuesday, and I guess the first thing I'd ask is you is if you could speak to the managerial search. I guess one thing we learned is that there is only one in-house candidate at this juncture. Yep, uh, the Astros are still looking for a manager, uh, but Dana Brown did uh, specify that bench coach Joe Espada is the only in-house candidate. Um, I think maybe Omar Lopez, the first base coach, who has been in the organization for a long time, uh, looked like he might've been another possibility for in-house consideration, but, uh, Joe Espada is the only in-house candidate. He was also the only candidate that Dana Brown was willing to specifically identify. Um, he did say that there is one other candidate who is a current bench coach who does not have managerial experience, uh, but would not specify further than that. Um, there are several candidates or several people out there who uh, that would apply to. Um, he said those are the only two candidates that he's looking at that um, that don't have previous managerial experience, but also didn't really want to narrow down the field further as far as like how many people are on this list that he's kind of um, going through and researching right now, or how many people he actually intends to interview uh, when it's all said and done. But that's kind of where things stand right now. Um, obviously, the Astros are, are one of three teams now left with uh, with managerial vacancies, uh, along with the Brewers and um, and the Padres after the Angels named Ron Washington their manager yesterday. Yeah, speaking of Washington, I guess one of the intriguing bits um, in the Anaheim area is you've got this new manager who's got to kind of change things around for a team that's... Uh, has had talent there for a number of years, but hasn't been able to make it work. And now the big deal is, I guess the buzz is Shohei Otani. I don't think people are expecting him to go back to the Angels, but what are what are some of the things you've heard about uh, about Otani and his free agent situation from Arizona? Uh, well, that's Obviously, that's been the biggest topic um, out here. Uh, there's a sizable media contingent here looking for Otani news. Uh, Perry Manazian, the uh, Angels GM, had his um, news conference on Tuesday and was surrounded by a big group. Uh, but I, I don't know that there's been anything really concrete um, to come out of here on on the Otani front. Um, I, I, I also don't know exactly how 
sort of the Otani factor uh, impacts the rest of the free agent market because you can look at it one of two ways. And one of it is that he's such an outlier that, um, and he's, you know, expected obviously to, to command this gigantic contract that, that I don't know. And also the fact that he is specifically a DH, uh, if he's not pitching, so he's not necessarily, I mean, Scott Boris in his press conference yesterday brought up the point or argued the point that when you're looking at other free agents like a Cody Bellinger, who's uh, probably the top name on the outfield market and one of the top names on the position player market is um, they're not necessarily comparable markets just because their skill sets are different. And because, you know, Otani is... Um, is a G uh, is is a DH and, and will not be pitching next year. Uh, it, it just he's he's such an outlier in so many ways that uh, it's not necessarily like people are going to be waiting to, or the, his uh, his market maybe will impact uh, the market for other players. Uh, it's not like I I don't necessarily know that he's setting a market for other players just because his skill set is so unique. On the other hand, there are so many teams that are said to be um, in, you know, considering or in play for him, and the financial, uh, the financial, you know, the price obviously would be so high that that the, and there are so many teams that because everybody is has this possibility of of contributing so much financial room financial wherewithal to the potential of signing him that maybe it will kind of stall other pursuits until there's some resolution there just because teams won't know necessarily how much money they have to spend at least these teams that are uh, vying for you know potentially landing his services that they won't know how much money they have to spend until there is a resolution as to where he's going so so I guess you can look at it one of two ways, um, but uh, you know his uh, Shohei Otani's agent um, did not hold a uh, you know any sort of media availability here, like some of the other big agents, Scott Boris and Joel Wolf, both had press gatherings. Um, there wasn't anything like that for Otani. So you know coming out of here, I don't think there's any more clarity about what he's thinking, what he wants, where he's going than there was coming in um it's still just sort of a lot of anticipation to see what that final decision is going to be well you do make a good point as far as the teams that might want to pursue him yeah maybe they're sitting tight because of money but i guess it doesn't mean he's necessarily stalling any other free agent signings because if you're a team that's not going to pursue him and we certainly would include the astros in that group that's not going to stop you from making some moves Dan brown talked about the areas and we talked about these some uh, that the Astros might be addressing through free agency. As expected, Hector Neris exercised his opt-out of his contract, so now they've lost three relievers, Neris, Phil Maton, and Ryan Stanek. Uh, talk about what did Dana say in terms of what the Astros' pursuits might be this offseason and where they might be budget-wise. Yeah, well, he reiterated that the bullpen and backup catcher are the two top priorities uh, roster-wise. Obviously, now there are three relievers officially who are free agents, so three spots that they may have to fill. Um, backup catcher has been uh, known as a, as a priority. But the interesting thing that he said uh, at these meetings was that 
they could entertain the possibility of adding uh, a starting pitcher or at least, you know, pursuing some rotation depth, which, you know, last week he had a conference call with a, a few reporters and he really all but sort of dismissed adding to the rotation as a, um, as a priority, he basically explained how he feels like the group is deep. The group overall performed well uh, this season, well enough at least to get them to game seven of the LCS. Um, and because that group is returning essentially intact next year, um, he sort of you know portrayed that as a strength. Um, and on Tuesday, he acknowledged that there is you know a possibility that they could look to add a starter. In fact, he said they could look to add a, a number three or stronger starter if a situation presents itself to them that they feel like is something that they could act on. So that was a little bit of a, uh, a departure from what he had said last weekend. I thought it was interesting to note just because, it, uh, I mean, you mentioned the, the financial picture and he also acknowledged that uh, there's probably not a lot of financial flexibility for the Astros to, to maneuver or make moves this offseason if they do intend to or are going to try to stay under the competitive balance tax threshold. Um, you know, outside projections for that show that already with the, the current roster as it's made up, uh, with the, the contracts that um, are on the books for next year, plus there's seven players who are due uh, raises and uh, are, are salary arbitration eligible players who are due raises this offseason. That includes Kyle Tucker and Fran Valdez, who are both probably going to get pretty significant raises. Uh, the projection is that the Astros already have a luxury tax payroll with their current group that's really right up against um, what the, uh, the, the tax threshold is for next year. Uh, under Jim Crane, the Astros have only exceeded the tax threshold once. Um, that was in 2020 after they took on Zach Grinke's contract uh, the previous season. Um, and then obviously 2020 was uh, a different year. And I, I believe Major League Baseball actually um, did away with the, the penalties uh, at the end of that year just because of how, how the season changed. Uh, but since then, the Astros have, have operated under the threshold. Um, it seems like that has been the way that they have wanted to operate. Uh, Jim Crane has not actually come out and said that he intends to or wants to stay under the threshold going into next season. And Dana Brown said that while he doesn't think there's a ton of financial flexibility for the Astros this, this winter, he does also feel like if there's something that has to push the financial uh, boundaries a little bit, that he feels like Jim Crane would be willing to spend more if uh, if it is a, a prudent or a way that they agree is going to upgrade and, and help the team. So um, going back to the, the starting pitcher, I mean, they do have these other very apparent uh, areas where, that they have to address and don't really have necessarily – uh, in-house or organizational candidates that you would point to and say, this is how they're going to solve that internally when you talk about the backup catcher and you talk about uh, the, the bullpen roles that now need to be filled. So if they have to go outside and maybe do that through free agency, it probably does limit their ability to pursue um, to pursue a starting pitcher if you're looking at maybe the, you know, the top or the, the middle even of, of the free agent market. One thing that could act in their favor is that it's a really deep 
free agent market for starting pitching this offseason. I mean, that was that was another theme of uh, some of the talks at the GM meetings was that this is a very deep starting pitching market, but there's also going to be widespread demand for starting pitching. I think um, multiple teams are expected to be pursuing multiple starting pitchers um, over the winter. And I've, a couple of people said that they, you know, no team is ever going to say, hey, we we're good on starting pitching probably like they, we don't, we wouldn't entertain the idea of looking for more pitching, but um, you know, Scott Boris said yesterday that he thinks uh, that, that seven teams had already approached him saying that they are looking to add multiple starters. Um, Joel Wolf said the other day that, that because the demand is so high, even though the, the, uh, the supply is high as well, he feels like, prices or salaries are going to remain um, remain high or increase because of competitive bidding was the term that he used. So so it doesn't sound like even though there is a good amount of starting pitching available that uh, that the Astros are going to be able to pick up somebody on the cheap uh, if it's somebody that they're looking for that's a, a quality arm. So I don't think that's the top priority for them obviously, but uh, it is something that Dana Brown said that they could entertain and maybe it's something that goes down later into the offseason if there are still names available um, as it gets closer to spring training. So maybe that's something that they put on the back burner at first, but bullpen and uh, backup catcher are still the the top and sort of the most glaring uh, priorities for them right now. Yeah, the thing that came to mind would be the rotation is perhaps like a, a deal like a Jake Odorizzi deal, which they gave a couple of years ago to bolster the depth, maybe something closer to spring training. Because when you look at next year, I mean, because of the experience J.P. France and Hunter Brown got this year. And of course, he's talking about a third starter. What I kind of think Christian Javier is already a third starter. It's, it's hard to imagine them getting someone above him. You got Verlander, Frommer Valdez, Christian Javier, France, Brown, Rikidi. And then at some point next season, you're getting McCullers and Luis Garcia back, it's believed. So they're going to have some depth there. It, it makes me wonder now if they were to... to, to they could always trade starting pitching for bullpen help and then pursue a starter, but it'll be interesting to it'll be interesting to see. But I, as you said, we're talking third starters. So Astros fans shouldn't be thinking Blake Snell or Aaron Nola or anyone like that. No, and I mean what you're describing there. Yes, they do have a lot of options ostensibly that they're going to have uh, next spring and, and later into the year. And best case scenario is they get the best um, the best version of all those guys, and they get McCullers and Garcia both back fully healthy, and they are you know they resemble the pitchers they were before their injuries. And best case scenario is that it all works out, and they have this lot of options, right? But I mean the the counter to that is that that there's not you know there's no guarantee that it that it works out that way. Um, Christian Javier had several good starts in the playoffs, but was extremely inconsistent up and down for the second half. Uh, Framber Valdez had his ups and downs in the second half. Uh, Brown and France both, you know, they, they, they had career high workloads in, in 2023 and they, they both sort of fell off a little bit down the stretch, uh, and into September and didn't really, didn't really factor into, uh, the postseason pitching, uh, picture all that much. And, I think the Astros would like to, you know, think with the benefit of an off season, um, they'll they'll come back rested and they'll, you know, both both of them will closely resemble the uh, the pitchers they were in the first half. But Jose Urquidy was a little bit up and down after uh, after he came back from his shoulder injury, 
And then with Garcia and McCullers, I, I don't necessarily know that, um, that you can kind of assume that both will come back. I mean, it's unclear is what I'm trying to say, what, how much of a workload and, and how effective they'll be able to be immediately after coming back. And it's also unclear when the Astros could expect them back. I mean, I think the, this sort of soft projection timeline that Dana Brown gave uh, this week was that maybe both could be back on the mound for them in sort of like by early July, early or mid July. But, you know, that assumes that everything goes uh, smoothly in their recoveries. And I think, you know, it's going to be really unclear um, until spring training when they, they're both, you know, back um, in the complex with the Astros and they can get their eyes on them and see where they're at in that recovery and, and sort of lay out maybe a firmer timeline at that point. But, um, I, you know, there are, even though they do have a number of options, if everything looks, you know, if everything works out well, I think that uh, you can still look at that and say that there are some question marks there in that rotation as well. So, so this last season really illustrated the reason that you do look for starting depth is, is that, you know, they had those injuries and they had to, pushed the two rookies into pretty big roles in the rotation and they did not add any uh, reinforcements to the rotation last off season. And it was something that probably down the stretch did affect them a little bit because, um, because they, they had kind of taxed and leaned on, uh, leaned on that depth to get them through the year. And maybe late in the season, uh, it wasn't quite as strong as, as it, as it could have been. So uh, I think, you know, for all those reasons it it, behooves them to at least entertain the idea of making an addition there. Um, but, you know, we'll see what, what they ultimately end up deciding to do. And as I listen to you, listen to you, I guess it also dawns on me that, that you're right. There are no guarantees. And lest we forget, Justin Verlander is going to be pitching at age 41 next season. So um, to your point, I, you can never, I guess, never have enough uh, supplemental arms out there. So we'll see. wanted to ask you before we go one more thing about the, about the manager's deal. Um, uh, Espada. It sounds like, um, you know, the four teams that have filled vacancies, although I guess one team didn't have a vacancy, the Cubs poached Craig Council after he became a free agent manager, firing David Ross, now creating this this vacancy for the Brewers. But the Mets go with the bench coach of the Yankees. The Indians go with Stephen Boat, who's two years removed from his playing career. Uh, Carlos Mendoza, that bench coach, by the way, the Mets hired. Angels going with 71-year-old Ron Washington. So there's been a variety of hirings, so you can see where the Astros could go anyway. But it sounds like even if even if Dana Brown um, had his mind up about his spot, part of this whole process is just to have him go through the hiring process. That could be part of it. Um, obviously, you know, this is the first time that he's gone through the hiring of a manager, and he sort of describes some of the the challenges or, or what goes into this process. Um, which is not only the the interviews, the, the actual you know talking to the face to face with the candidates, but uh, I think a lot of uh, there's also a lot of weight put on sort of you know reaching out to other people around the game, getting references on the candidates, um, other perspectives about you know how they interact, how they would interact with players, how they would command the clubhouse. Um, it's probably a little bit easier to get feedback or input on that from people who have managed before. Uh, but another challenge that he described is finding somebody who the Astros feel like can sort of come in and um, fit in well and maintain 
the uh, basically the successful culture that they've had um, for a number of years. And when you look at it that way, I mean, uh, you know, Joe Spada has been here. He has been the bench coach for six years, and he's been sort of part of this run that they've been on. So in that sense, there is a, uh, a continuity aspect there that, um, that he would, could offer that, that other candidates probably would not be able to offer if it's a newcomer. Um, and when you look at the, the three teams that do have, uh, vacancy still for the manager's spot, um, the, the Astros, the Padres and the Brewers, uh, all three seem to be at slightly different, uh, like junctures of their searches. Uh, the Padres base, uh, president of baseball operations, AJ Preller, um, said on Wednesday that, uh, or he described that the hire could be fairly imminent. Um, so, so over the weekend or into the early part of next week, they feel like they may be able to, uh, to sort of name their next manager. So it sounds like they're into the, the final stage of that search. Um, Matt Arnold, the general manager of the Brewers said on Wednesday that, um, that they don't really have a timeline uh, to hire their next manager. Milwaukee was uh, pretty evidently still hoping to retain Craig Council before the Cubs hired him. And so I don't know necessarily how much uh, they had started to look into contingency, contingency plans or backup plans um, if Council did you know, leave uh, prior to him making that decision or if they're now embarking on a search uh, that they've kind of had to start just in the last few days uh, since council left. So that's a little bit unclear. There was a report uh, from Ken Rosenthal, the athletic that came out uh, after council departed that had some candidates that the brewers are um, at least looking into. Uh, and that list included actually two Astros coaches, uh, Joe Spada and also hitting coach Troy Snicker. So, you know, if the um, if the Brewers are also interested in Espada, it's a little bit unclear as to how that could affect or impact um, the Astros in terms of timeline, like whether they would feel a need to maybe act a little bit more quickly um, or, you know, if they are, if they do intend to or if they are, are seriously weighing Joe Espada being their next manager, if they feel like they need to maybe make that decision uh, a little quicker before before the Brewers advance in their uh, sort of search process. Um, Dana Brown said that he kind of left it a loose timeline as to when they could name the next manager. He said before Thanksgiving is a possibility, but said, don't quote me on that. So, so it's a, a little bit unclear, but I, I think sometime in the next week to two weeks uh, is what they're tentatively looking at. Uh, but those are the three last remaining spots in this kind of managerial carousel that we've had going on for the offseason. Yeah, it's one thing if they were the last team where they know they have the pick of the litter, but you make a good point. I mean, when you look at what happened and, and the Cubs snatching counsel uh, to the surprise of everyone, I mean, they kept that so clandestine. And the thing they did was they waited till his contract expired so they didn't have to ask permission to talk to him. And it's my understanding now that Espada is no longer on, under contract. The Brewers can talk to him at any time. I guess the one thing is Dana Brown doesn't want, if that's his choice, he doesn't want him to get plucked away from him. Um, then where is he at, right? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. So, I mean, that's the, to that point, 
yes, it, it may, it could have an, an impact on sort of their timing, but, um, you know, if they feel like also they are further along in the search than the Brewers who would probably also be kind of looking at a, a, a group of candidates, um, Matt Arnold did not uh, specify any candidates to uh, decline to address um, who else is on that list aside from uh, Milwaukee's current bench coach, Pat Murphy, who he said is a, a legitimate candidate for them. So, um, so yeah, it's a little bit unclear as to where the two teams are or how close they are, but, uh, but yeah, the Astros obviously still, still one of the last few uh, having to make this decision. Yeah, and if I'm Joe Espada, I know which of the two I'd prefer to manage. So um, I'm sure he's going to play things fairly close to the vest as well. The snifter thing is interesting if the Brewers should try to talk to him. But um, anyway, we'll be keeping tabs on this. Maybe it'll happen before Thanksgiving. Uh, and um, if so, we'll uh, definitely have another podcast before then. In fact, our plan is to probably have these uh, once a week, even during the off season. So uh Matt, thanks for your uh, reporting from Scottsdale, where the GM meetings are concluding. And I know you'll be in Nashville here in a couple of weeks for the uh, winter meetings, where maybe some trade activity really starts uh, uh, heating up in the hot stove league. Thanks for listening to this edition of Down Dugout Download. We also link Pirate Audio for their production expertise on that end. And we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>